wanted to ask you to and we want to apologize tonight. We, well, it's insinuated that we would deal on a certain subject and God hasn't moved that way at all. And you just have to stay with us. God knows I'm truly impressed something upon my heart and I want to try my best to give it off. I don't know if I can cover all of these scriptures that we're going to read, but if you'll stay with me, why, I believe we can. First off, I want to read from Hebrews, the sixth chapter, from the fourth to the sixth verse. Hebrews, sixth chapter, four through six. Some old familiar scriptures. So we want to look into those things and try to unravel them a little bit and what God has to say about them. Begin this way, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they should fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to open shame. Now you that haven't found it, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 10 and 25. 10 and 25. Let's read from 25 and 26. Not forsaking. Now, if you want to have a marker, put your marker in these because we'll be using them. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now let's find 1 John 5, 16 and 17. 1 John. That's right before 2 and 3 John. 1 John 5, 16 and 17. Everybody got it? You that didn't bring your Bible, you're lucky, so you don't even have to look for it. You're so smart and so sharp that you don't even need that. Isn't that wonderful? If any man, his brother, sin a sin, which is not unto them, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto them. There is a sin unto them. I do not say that he shall pray for you. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Now mark that one, and let's go to Matthew 12 and 31. Matthew 12 and 31. Read 31 and 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blaspheme shall be forgiven unto men, 
But the blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall not shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. Now for the last one, let's find Hebrews again and go to the 16th chapter and the 17th verse. I'm wrong on that. Hebrews the 12th chapter and the 17th verse. We hard for you to find the chapter that wasn't in that. Hebrews 12 and 17. Let there, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, while you're turning back to the very first one, Hebrews 6, these scriptures, for me, I don't know about you, now some of us, of course, uh, the Word of God can't strike anything in us. We have just made up our mind how it's going to be in our own life and how we're going to live it. Any amount of the Word of God is able to shake us or change us, not for very long at a time anyway, but to all of us, that have a desire to listen, these scriptures should strike a very sober, somber, heavy, and fearful note. And they're certainly a series of dark passages, I think, to say the least. Now in Hebrews 6 and 4, let's deal with that one. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened that have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers, and that word should be and are going along with, take your Scofield reference if you have one, and are going along with the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away, and this word comes from the Greek meaning apostatize, if they apostatize, it is impossible, in other words, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Now the question that's brought here immediately to mind is the unpardonable sin. How many have heard of the unpardonable sin? Amen. How many know that such a sin exists? Let's see your hands. How many of you are really aware of what the unpardonable sin is? How many know what the unpardonable sin is? All right, let's go into this. In order to find out how these scriptures can properly be applied to us and find out really what God is talking about and bring us into proper perspective where we can view these scriptures to the meaning of our day, we need to go back and try to find out exactly the root and core of it. Now the popular meaning that's attached to this is that if you uh, backslide, why you can't come back to God, or if you as a believer commit a deliberate sin, 
why that sin is unforgivable. And of course, on and on you can go with summations and quotes of all sorts uh, from the mind of man. But let's look into it. Notice the scripture said if they should fall away. Now, falling away is, of course, apostasy, and that's not a lapse. As a lot of us have a lapse in our Christian life where we just seem to not be where we ought to be, and we just seem to slide back just a little bit, and all at once the devil will say, well, you knew the truth, and you went back on it, so actually you can't get forgiveness far. But notice it says falling away, not a lapse or not a neglect of anything, but just simply apostate condition. And first off, we need to realize about this scripture. It's an epistle to the Hebrews. Now, all Scripture is for us, but all Scripture is not about us. Amen? Come on. We're supposed to profit by all Scriptures, but this Scripture was written directly to the Hebrews. And it is for us, but it is about the Hebrews. Now, first of all, let's find out who were the Hebrews. Now, they were Jewish converts of the Christian faith, or to the Christian faith, and the gospel in the first century of this dispensation that we live in. This was after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was after the day of Pentecost. And this was after the church was born. And the key word in this that indicates that the Jewish, there's a Jewish aspect to this epistle is found in verse 6. Let's read it. If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, or again, or anew. Now this boils it down to the Jews, Christian or Jews that have been converted to Christianity, or possibly there's no way that they could have been talking about us for the Gentiles or the rest of the tribes of Israel had not crucified Jesus the first time. Amen? So there's no possible way that we could crucify him again. Amen? So you see, it's talking to the Jews. And in those, hard, those days, it was a hard thing for a Jew to embrace this gospel. And when he finally did come out of the temple and the ordinances and everything except what the uh, scriptures say about the gospel, he was severely and sorely persecuted and persecuted so great that many denounced Christian religion. Now, all you have to do is just follow the uh, leading of Stephen when he preached this gospel. The Jews become so infuriated that they gnashed on him with their teeth. You see, they were so against this gospel. Right. They were so against this Jesus. And to have somebody of their faith to go and embrace this, uh, what would you say, this imposter Jesus, was almost more than they could take. And when this individual did, they were immediately the target of hideous persecution. Yes. Now this is where we're standing. Paul persecuted the church in such a hideous fashion until Jesus struck him down on the road to Damascus. And the persecution was so great 
that I would like to read you in Hebrews 12, 2 and 4, the pressure and persecution was so great that the Apostle Paul wrote to these same Hebrews, or same Jewish converts, some exhortations that told them in 12 and uh, 2 and 4, says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says, to them who are being persecuted, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And then he reminds them that they have not resisted unto blood yet, and he's giving them strength and say, you hold on to this newfound thing that you have. You hold on to this. Now, you've got to realize this. When they apostatized, in other words, and went back to their temple worship, and this is what many of them did. When they went back to their temple worship, they were forced to make a public recantation. In other words, if you read the martyrs in the dark ages, that's the one thing that they never did want to do was recant against their Jesus. And this is what they were demanded to do. They had to deny the faith and the gospel. They had to say this thing that they embraced, there was nothing to it. They had to say that Jesus was a master, and that's all there was to him. They had to say that his blood had no power whatsoever to remit sins. And they had to embrace again the old rituals of the animal sacrifice. And when they did all of this, of course, they walked back into total darkness out of the light of God's glory salvation. So you might get some idea from this what it would take out of an individual to commit the unpardonable sin. It takes more than just having the Holy Ghost and going back on it. It takes more than just a lapse in your Christian experience. It takes more than just backsliding. But actually, this is what it took to deny this gospel as truth. To say Jesus was not the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he was only a bastard without a father. And to say that his blood which one time cleansed them from all sin and iniquity, meant nothing whatsoever, and they turned right back to that same old worship that the power of God had taken them out of. This is what the Scripture means when it said the dog returns to his own moment and the sow to its own wallowing in the barn. And God help us in this day and hour with this blessed truth. Let us embed it in our hearts so much so that when the powers of hell come, and oh yeah, there will come a time, there will come a day, that this thing will be so real to us, that no power of hell can restrain us, that we will stand through. Hallelujah. You say impossible. But these individuals had embraced. They had been taught. They had felt the cleansing flow from Calvary. They had been introduced to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And because persecution did so abound in their hearts and in their land, 
simulating their saving their own body from reproach and shame. They walked right back into the wallowing in the mark, returned right back to their own vomit, and took up the same thing that the power of God led them out of. And let me say right now, saints of God, let's stand where we're at, solid on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's never deny the faith. Let's keep the blood of Christ and the effective cleansing. Hallelujah. The only thing that can cleanse us from all sin and iniquity. And let's embrace Christ as our King of kings, our Lord of lords, our high priest, our power figure, the beginning and the end. And let's stand and declare that there is no other salvation anywhere, only through the Lord Jesus Christ. These people embraced it. They loved it. But persecution, something so many of us really don't know too awfully much about. We've been tormented of heart, tormented of mind. And let me ask you now a question. To be very truthful with yourself, how many of us have not been plagued and introduced to the thought of just casting it all aside? Because after all, what has it given us? And where are we going? Mm -hmm. That thought has it been introduced almost to every mind. Yes. And sometimes it takes on a full-fledged battle within this soul of ours, our innermost being, yes. for us to grasp hold of that Holy Spirit, for us to hold fast that which we've been introduced to, and for us to stand solid on the foundation that the Bible says the foundation of God's temperature. Having the seal, the Lord knoweth those that are His. Hallelujah. Sealed in the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit that dwelleth within us. Amen. But that thought being introduced lets you know that John said already now in his day. There are many Antichrists yes. in the world. And to let you know there's demonic forces of activity that works upon the heart, mind, and soul of an individual Christian to make him doubt and disbelieve and try their best to introduce him and make him turn and walk back into the same darkness, into the same vomit, into the same walling of fire. And he came out of, and I said, God help us to get our teeth in God's word and stand steadfast, holy and unblameable and movable, unmovable in his Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, where was I at? He crossed the dead one. They went. Too far. Has it ever entered into your mind? Now, there could perhaps come a day when we continually deny Christ His right in our life. And we continually put Him off as to being the chief ruler in our life. When carnality seems to rule supreme almost from the start of the day until the sun's at home. And if you ever been startled by the thought that if we are not subject to the holy presence and spirit of God now, when that day comes, 
How much more will we not be subject to that? Come on. No wonder the Bible tells us to strive for perfection. Yes. To strive to put off this carnal nature and strive to find something in God that is sure and steadfast. Always abounding in His love. Always climbing that ladder. Always getting our hand on another road. Have no weary heart sore. Beaten down by the powers of hell. We say at the close of the day, I will throw myself one step higher than I was the day before. I will cause flesh to be less ruler over me than he was yesterday. And tomorrow he will be less. Because although it seems almost impossible that our lives could ever be such as these Christian Jews, remember now what they came out of. You've never been to temple worship. You've never sacrificed animals. But friend, you've wallowed in sin. You've wallowed in despair. You've walked in darkness. And you felt the cleansing flow from Calvary, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you felt the friend like Jesus, and you sang it, there's never been a friend like Jesus. No, not one, no, not one. And you felt that encircling glow of the holiness of God, and you reached out your hand in the darkness, and He took a hold of it, and you heard His words, I'll never leave you, and never forsake you, and be with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. You heard that? You've been close to Him, and you've sat in heavenly places. I know people right now had have denounced the whole thing. Has ever been anything more than an emotional experience that they had in their lives. Impossible, you say. Hardly so. Because if it was not impossible for these Christian Jews to embrace this same thing we're talking about now, to return to their old temple ways and temple worship, and deny that this Christ they walked with and served and who was so gentle and generous to them was of no value whatsoever. Only false only a bastard. His bloodshed was just like another man died. That's all he was. And many of us, God help us, believe the axe at the root of the tree and let the chips fall away they may. Many of us live our lives and act just as if God was never king, had he never intended to be Lord of our lives, and that Jesus never really ever died for us whatsoever. And that when we repented, it meant nothing. And I sincerely question the authenticity of repentance on a lot of people's part. Because I know godly sorrow comes. I watched it. But repentance means to change one's mind. Yeah. And I watched lives that they sorrowed godly over the sins they committed. And never made one change one iota whatsoever. And their life it went on the same as usual. The only possible thing different is they might have gone in the house of God once every blue moon and the rest of it was no difference at all. Never prayed, never said grace, never witnessed, never lived for God, never mentioned his name, acted just as him. He'd never done anything for us. Well, over the host goes too harsh. Maybe he is, but this is God's word. Amen. What I'm trying to say is this, friend. It takes a lot 
to commit the unpardonable sin. It takes a lot, but brother, it's been done before. And if I say he insists, it'll be done again. And it'll be done by people who were one time liable stoned to the house of God. Who thought they never had need of anything. Who thought they were on a one-way street to glory. Who thought all they had to do was just be introduced to the presence of God. I watch this a lot of times. And a lot of us are guilty of this. We'll come to the house of God and sit while the great anointing power of God is there present. And we find time to laugh. We find time to cut up. We find time to talk. And never any time to get in the full main flow of God's spirit and presence. What I'm trying to say tonight is we're floating now in a dangerous channel. And one of these days we'll cross beyond the point of no return and the deadline, and we'll deny that Christ was ever anything to us. Oh, I'll never do that. Peter said, Lord, I'll never deny you. But he did. These Christians who came out of animal sacrifices said, oh, he's so great. I've beaten so much. I'll never go back on him. And yet they returned to the temple again to take to the priest their sacrifices and offered up sacrifices as they did before during this fight to the grace and knowledge and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ trampled his grace under their feet and defied him to be the God of Israel and he said yes. why did they do this? simply because they lived carnal and they died Amen. They yes. decided the word of God meant nothing to me. It was for somebody else. They decided God challenging them wasn't for them. It was for somebody else. On and on and on. For persecutions they couldn't stand it. And Paul wrote that epistle and said, Look, I know it's hard to me. I know they've singled you out. I know the devil's going to land on you. But look to Jesus. They all bring finish yes, yes. Look to him. He's the only one that can carry you through. All those saints of God that died a martyr's death. Died looking up into the heavens. Praising the adorable king of kings. And the Lord of hearts. They Christ on their lips. And they died with victory in their soul. Because they did not deny the efficiency of God's will. And the reality of it is Hallelujah. It was real to them. Yeah. It wasn't something they could play with. And then just so they crossed the deadline. Let's look at Hebrews 10 and 25. I believe it'll shed a little more light on this. He was talking, notice now, in the same classification of people. The same ones, first off he said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now the stage has been set. You know the enemy of these people, don't you now? You know what they came out of, and you know the battle they're having from the professional Jews of that time. They're Christians. And Paul said, first of all, Let's hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise.
promise. And I'd like to say hallelujah. I'd like to say hallelujah again. For he is faithful. That promise, thank God. And I have promises in this thing. And I may be faithful enough to see me through in the end. And then he said, let us consider one another. Oh, joy. What a message to the church of the living God today. Let us consider one another to provoke him to love and to good works. And then he gets to the crux of the matter. And he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some years, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Yes. Now notice, we did not say neglectful or carelessness, mm-hmm. but this was the forsaking, mm-hmm. or the turning completely away from the Christian faith and from the church. And going back to the temple with its ordinances and its ceremonies. Now you see what Paul was saying to them. I wonder what he's saying to us. We have no temple. We've never sacrificed to anything as far as animal sacrifices is concerned. And let me remind you, friend, that we did come out of something. That we did come out of the synagogue of Satan. That we did sacrifice unto him our lives and ourselves and many of our friends. And the Bible says, let's be careful that we don't turn away from the Christian. In those days, some have already done it today. But he said, exhorting one another. What Paul was saying here is that you need this Christian faith. You need and are going to need even the most so this church. You're going to need this Jesus at their time to get you to deny. You're going to need one another as you never needed one another before. You're going to need the Holy Ghost. You're going to need the gospel. And this synagogue or temple and animal sacrifices has never done nothing to you or for you, and it never will, Paul said, because God's turned his back on this. God turned his back on temple worship. Let me prove that to you. Of course, you already know it, some of you. Jesus entered into the temple, and he said, You have made my house. I didn't thief. Notice, my house. He claimed it. It was his. Hallelujah. The Lord, he was still under the law. But then when he looked up and saw Jerusalem for the last time, he looked at their sins and their iniquities, their denials, their mockery. And he cried out to them, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sinned to you, how oft would I have given you under my wings of the end of the chicks? And you would not. Therefore, your house, your house, 
is left unto you desolate. He turned his back on the temple, turned his back on the temple worship, and went to the cross that day, suffered, bled, and died on Calvary, was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, rose again on the third day, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, ascended after forty days into the heavens, said, carry ye into Jerusalem, and I'll send you the Holy Ghost. And after seven days, he came and filled the room, and the church was going, and this became the people of the living God to dwell in. And he says, now my house is the church of the living God, and the souls of mankind that embraces us. My house, he says, he says, my house. Your house is the temple. And one of these days, the temple worship will be restored, and they'll say, this is God's house. Have you remember? He says, that's your house. God's house will still be where it was. And it was for that day on Pentecost, dwelling in the heart of individual. My house. Your house is this one. It's doomed for failure and destruction. But my house is destined to take on the living. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm glad I came in. Lord God, help me. Help me to never turn my back on it. And walk out on it. And do this fight for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 26th verse says, But if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about willful sin. Oh God. You mean if we sin, we know we're sinning? We can't get forgiveness? How many in here has not committed a willful sin? He's saying to these Jews, he said this, that when they forsook the church and the sacrifices of Christ and returned to animal sacrifices, they could bring a pigeon and a goat, or they could bring whatever they demanded to bring, as often as they wanted to bring it, and it had no value. They say they could get by with it while it was in darkness. But when Christ brought them into that eternal light, and they knew, they knew who the sacrifice was. Oh, God. Oh, we know tonight, don't we, who the sacrifice was. We know that there's only one sacrifice now. All the others is of no avail. He simply meant that. That there's no other sacrifice. Blood and bulls and goats, pigeons, lambs, dogs, whatever, will avail you nothing. Only that blessed sacrifice of the Lamb of God that taken away the sin of the world will avail anything. Put your sin on earth and leave it there. And if we ever turn away from that and turn our backs on that, 
We try our best to find another way. Remember, there remaineth no other sacrifice. Every time you sin unknowingly, Jesus is the only sacrifice you have. Every time you sin willfully, Jesus is the only sacrifice you have. And you're safe as long as you bring it to him and put it under the blood and let it cleanse you of all sin and iniquity. You're only in trouble when you feel like you don't have to do it and that you're free without doing it. And the world is ill with them. I feel like just because they know Jesus and have been filled with the Holy Ghost they have a perfect right to do whatever they want to and never bring those sins under the blood. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I don't care how mighty and how great, how much esteem and how intellectual we are. Whatever sin we commit must come to the altar. And we must confess it with our mouth and with our lips and our heart and put it under the blood for it's a sin marked against us and will keep us out of heaven. Ah, oh, friend, Christians ought to use the altar more than any sinner alive. But it's hard because there's where the sacrifice is offered. Christ offered. Amen. Christ. All of this, all I have to say this. There's a lot of Christians that have lived in jeopardy because they've never brought their sins to oh, the They've never asked. They've never really sought me. They've thought as long as they had the baptism or if God saved them, what's the problem? The problem of sin is always Come on. Sin. And if you had to be forgiven for the sin of the Adamic nature, then you have to be forgiven of every sin that you've committed in the body. But it's willfully or has to be taken to the altar. And there the blood has to be applied. The same as it did when you were an ungodly sinner. Because in reality, that's what you are. Until you're cleansed, and then you have communion with it, and you become a child of God again, and God wants us to stay there. You see, communion is broken by sin, and once repented of, communion is restoring it, and there's no reason for a Christian to have communion broken, but just a split second. Come on. Because it just takes the Holy Ghost that long to convict you of your sin. Yeah. And it takes you to snap in your finger to say from your heart, God, forgive me of it. And you're restored. Amen. Amen. Sin was You have a mark against young people and old alike. You say, you're not immune from this. You go day by day. Doing things against God's will. Do you ask His forgiveness? When that Holy Ghost convicts you and says it's wrong, then you take time to stop and say, Forgive me. Or you just go on. Until finally, nothing inside speaks again. There's a sin marked to your credit. Hear me now. 
Come on. I'm trying to reach your soul. It's the truth. I'm not trying to do you in. I'm not trying to do you harm. I'm trying to show you all it takes to stay in communion with God. And that's a repentant heart that humbles itself every time it sins. And that's the need of the Holy Ghost. Yes. If it's in there, it'll shock you like that. It's the need of I remember when I opened I said this to my cousin. said this four times in the morning. He was about the worst sinner, I guess. He preached here, Cousin Paul, a Nazarene preacher. And he was longing. Of course, that's quite a job. And he had a pair of mules. It's just very contrary. And the, they didn't want to pull them. One of them bought. And he began lashing them up with a switch. And just, he said, I just, he made it from my lips, curse words. <laughs> Even starting me. And he said something. He said, Paul, that's wrong. And he said, I knew it was, but something else said, Yeah, it was. He told you just go on until you get out of here and then you can repent. He said, No, devil. I committed this sin to this muck and martyr right here. So I'm going to get forgiven. He said, I fell down on my knees right there and that man. Kind of asked God for Amen. What are we doing that? It's a priest to the people. Yes, amen. But if we sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, when you go back to the temple worship, sacrifice all you want to. We can go back from God. We can sacrifice in our own ways and give our body to be burned with it, don't we? We can try to reconcile ourselves and try to buy our way into heaven and give all the money we want to give. It doesn't mean anything. The sacrifice is already been And that sacrifice is the land of God and the Lord But a certain fearful looking for our judgment, our indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he, shall he be though thought unworthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherein he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the shield of grace. He was talking to those Jews that were thinking about, and some of them did, go back into the temple worship. He said, Why well, under Moses' law they died without mercy? How much more sore punishment there's going to be for you. You taught the Son of God underfoot. Count his blood of the covenant as nothing when it sanctified you. And count it as an unholy thing and call your God a bastard of a sword. What sore punishment you're going to have and you've done despite the spirit of grace. And we can make that for us too. Yes. We don't have a temple back there. We are of the city God of Satan. He came out of We sacrificed our bodies to Him. And if we go back, start sacrificing our bodies to that same thing. God help us. How much soul punishment. Yes. Oh, you say you're steering me. I'm so cruel. But steering me doesn't mean anything. It has no. to be something that makes a change in your heart. Amen. It makes you finally realize that this is not a playhouse. 
had not been suffered bleed and die. He didn't hang on that tree. And he didn't curse. He didn't take all the sins and iniquity. And he didn't ascend and come back. And his disciples didn't die. His apostles and the martyrs didn't die. Just this established a playhouse. No. They died the whole thing. The church of the living God, yes, which is God's house. Amen. That's what it's always been. That's what it always been. We make fun of it. We may make them dim thieves. But after a while, they cease to be his house. They become your house. This temple that he dwells in now is his house. We do this fight to him for very long when it ceases to be his house. It becomes your house. Crime 
You'll find it in the first chapter and we'll not read it at all. And Paul was getting on to the church for letting this deed go on. And he said this, in the name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and by my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This individual had crossed the deadline. He had sinned a sin unto death. Fact of this, this sin had, be, had been of such nature and it had been let flow so rampant in the church that Paul said, I'm surprised you didn't meet it. And now listen to me. And he challenged them to band together and deliver this individual into the clutches of Satan for the destruction of the body so that that individual could be saved, his spirit could be saved. Harsh. But true. Yeah. And it was in the early church, brother. And it's going to be in the latter day reign of God's church. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is sins that is committed and sins that run rampant by individuals have should and do no better have come and disturb and destroy and split apart and tear open the churches. If the church would do its duty and meet together and bind that individual and their body be destroyed so their soul or spirit could be saved, they would be doing God's church and that individual a justice. Amen. Right in shape. so few and beloved. And we just embrace everything that they do and just let them go right on. My Lord. Destroy souls, tear up churches. And, and we don't recognize that it is our responsibility yes. as God's church to do this. You read it, it's right in the Bible. I didn't take it from any place but the Bible. This was for two things. If that individual is allowed to go on, their spirit is going to inherit damnation. Right. And look at all the souls that's going to be destroyed because their life is allowed to continue to be lived by that way. Oh, you don't want to be in, Brother Hoskoff. No. I challenge you that if this is not in the Bible, I'll tear that out. It don't mean us today. I'll just tear it out. But it's for us. Amen. And we're going to have to develop this thing and use it. And I'll tell you one thing. When it comes, there's going to be fear so that anything, just anything, is not going to attach itself right. to God's church. That's the truth. That's exactly what Peter did, I believe, to Ananias and Sapphira and came to attach themselves to the church. And you know what happened to them? The Bible says, and fear fell upon them. You see, almost anything can walk in now uncontested and do whatever it wants to do. And it is. But there's coming a day in its close. This is going to be met with. Yes. And it's going to have to be met with by God's people. Yes. Amen. Come on. 
You want a healthy church? Stand out and put your feet under God's table. Get down on your knees to prepare your heart yes. for His table before you come in here. This is no time to prepare to walk in here with every imaginable thing on your mind and come in until you can't even get into the song service and then expect the preacher to enliven you and illuminate your hearts and minds. You need to be ready before you come here so you can bring your feet under God's table and eat in a worthy manner. Amen. And most probably that's why we complain so much. Come on. And that's why we're sick so much. That's why a lot of people die before they're done. Yeah. This happens to be a sin unto me. Did my Bible just say that? Mm -hmm. And for this reason, all somebody said, well, we don't have commute. We don't have it in a natural sense. I would want us to watch what we're doing if we did. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is, don't we have communion to the Spirit with God? Amen. And isn't it more important that we watch how we eat of that spiritual word and drink from that spiritual rock? Yes. And if we put a little cracker to our lips, a little wine to our tongue. Mm -hmm. what is it? Yes, well, let me say right now that any time anybody that knows God comes in and sits and puts their feet under God's table and eats in an unworthy manner is in danger of sickness. Yes. And he can die. I didn't say it. I'm not pronouncing it being upon you. The Bible says many sleep because of that reason. Go out and meet God a long time before. Yes. That's you. What is a sin in the day? Any sin. Could be. Any little things like Vinny or Andrew on the brother and sister. That's a sin. You don't have any right to stand and tell brother and sister off and Amen. Come on. And there's so much of that going on in the church, and we think all we've got to do is just make a little apology and everything going But you have a quota, I don't know if you know or not, but you have a quota of things. You don't know when you're going to cross that boundary line, and I don't know. Now I'm saying all this to get us aware again that we don't play church and we've not got a little God that we wind up and have him to walk and we don't have a little puppet we put on him. We're subjects of God and he's laid down laws for us. Whether we like it or not, we're there. Come on. And this is a serious thing. It's not a playhouse. We don't do with him what we want to do. And we don't come to him when we get ready. That's right. No one can come to Christ, expect, accept his spirit, draw people 